listening to episode 79 of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I'm here in Four Stream Studios with my good friend Brad Brown. My name is John Mark Durow. Just like to welcome everybody listening. Welcome, everyone. Yeah. We're glad you joined us wherever you are, whatever time you are. Right. Whether this is in the future or the past. Exactly. It, it just everywhere. Exactly. We are together in it. <laughs> In this moment. And, you know, uh, speaking of the future and what's coming up, we got a little college football coming up this weekend. We do. John Mark, are you a college football fan? Man, I'm a massive college football fan. When when Colin was on the show a couple of weeks ago, I was just loving his college football talk. So, yes, I'm a huge fan. That might surprise people. You're a musician, very artistic but really into college football. Yeah, I like to break all stereotypes when it comes to this type of thing. I'm a huge Auburn fan, but I just love to follow the sport in general. I love the storylines. I love the traditions. Um, You know, it is funny, though, because there was actually some college football on this past weekend, and it was like, they call it week zero, because it's not not week one, but they just have a few games during week zero, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it made me realize that Sometimes there are a lot of college football games that just turn into blowouts. Oh, wow. Like, you'd be surprised how many games in college football are actually not close at all. Why do you think that is? I just think sometimes the disparity in talent. So, like, UCLA played against Hawaii, and I think it was like the second – at the beginning of the third quarter, I think it was like 45 to 10 at the beginning of the third. And then Seems super interesting. Nebraska lost to Illinois, which that was kind of a close game. So but you watched all these games? I didn't watch them all. I okay. just kind of tuned in a little bit just to experience uh, the joy of it being back this fall. But we got some big games this weekend. Alabama plays against Miami. Oh, wow. Which is going to be, which should be, you know, you I mean, think Alabama. You think it'll be close? No, I think Alabama's going to win by 21 plus, yeah, more naturally. than likely. Yeah. Uh, it'll be close in the second quarter. And then I think eventually Alabama will just pull away like they always do. Yeah, just just the age we live in. Um, UCLA plays LSU, so that should be a fun okay. game. That's Chip Kelly. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how LSU is this year. Yeah. Um, Auburn's got a cupcake game this week, so thank uh, God. But you know, Brian Harson, it'll be fun to see. So That's yeah, right, there's some debut. So there's some deep college football stuff. I think there's some other good games on this weekend, but I can't. Oh, Georgia Clemson. Georgia oh Clemson, yeah, that right would be great. The oh, I love that. So yeah, that's that's the big one this weekend. That's so. great. Exciting I think, stuff. I feel like Clemson's gonna win. I feel like Clemson's gonna win. I think so. Yeah. Right. I think so. We'll see what happens. Okay. College football, man. College so football. It's exciting. Yep. Yeah. It's um, back. Do we have? I think we have an email. We do. Let's go down to the email corner. Oh. <laughs> Nailed it. Let's go down to the email corner. All right, there it is. Mm. Brad, do you have the email pulled up? Or I, I've got it actually right here. Yeah, I can get it. Okay. Because I've got it. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, John Mark. All right. Uh, so the. Um, the president or king, I can't remember which terminology we're going with, of the North Alabama chapter. That's right. Of uh, the fan club, 
Shades Midweek fan club. Yeah, faithful listener. Dale Anton wrote in again, and uh, this is off the heels of our episode from last week that you weren't here for where we talked about Third Day for an hour. I'm bummed that I missed it. Yeah, Um, and so he's writing in about Third Day, so let's see what he says. Yeah. All right, greetings. I was not exposed to... Wow, that sounds bad. Starting over. That's what he said. That's I love that he in. didn't delete it. And he didn't delete it. He just left writing, it. Keep writing, yeah. A little com- comedic beginning. I'd never heard of contemporary Christian music as a youngster. My understanding of Christian music was confined to the music and hymnals. Mm. However, in my 40s, I became aware of CCM and have been quite taken with the Christian hip-hop movement. Wow. The reminiscing about Third Day was very enjoyable and a good study of their musical style. I enjoy their music and often find solace in the lyrics and how they point me to the gospel. I look forward to the episode where y'all discuss the impact of propaganda on Mm. the Christian culture. He's talking about the rapper, Propaganda. Not, yes, not propaganda. not propaganda in general. Yeah. I can't wait to hear which of his poems you find the most impactful on your musical growth. Dale. Yeah. Dale, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Thank you for writing in. I'm glad you enjoyed the episode last week. Um, yeah, propaganda. Um, I, I feel like Jonathan was really into uh, Christian hip-hop, I feel like. I feel mm-hmm. like he has a, a pretty good knowledge of that. Um, I'm not as knowledgeable, especially as of recently. I have listened to Propaganda a good bit. I've listened to it with my kids. Oh, I think yeah. he's great. I think he's a... I think he's an excellent lyricist and songwriter. So I think it would be interesting to take a look at some of the work that he's done. He's definitely has some challenging work yeah, for sure. has and, a prophetic um, voice in yeah. his lyrics, which a lot of hip-hop can. For sure, 100%. So uh, that could be cool to maybe yeah, explore we'll to check down, that out. down the road. A but future I'm gl- episode. I'm glad you enjoyed uh, the third day episode. Maybe we can get propaganda on Shades Midweek. You know, I think he's been at Seeds before. Really? Yeah, I remember seeing he a picture performed? of him with... No, I think he was just getting coffee. He loves coffee. I follow him on Instagram. He does love coffee because yeah. he does. Uh, he was for a while on one day every week on Instagram. He was doing like kind of like a coffee takeover type thing where he would like brew. Oh yeah, something different. That's so yeah, cool. he does love coffee a lot. So yeah, thank you, Dale, for writing in. If you would like to write in to Shades Midweek, just email us at midweek at shadesvalley dot org. Yes. All right. Well, speaking of music, JM, do we have an album of the week? JM's album of the week. All right, I got it right that time. Look. <laughs> got the right, got the right theme song. Um, man, I was telling you yesterday, Brad, that I am really excited because this fall is turning out to be an excellent last quarter of the year of music. There is going to be yeah. a lot of albums. Yeah, I'm ready for some new music. Yeah, so we've got. Casey Musgraves coming up, Coldplay, mm-hmm. The War on Drugs, My Morning Jacket. There's there's others that I can't even think of right now. There was one that actually just came out this past weekend that's a big one. Oh, gonna, what was that? I'm going to save that, though. Okay. I'm save it. So wow. that's just a little teaser. Yeah. Uh, this one I actually did discover over this weekend while I was cutting grass. When I cut grass... I like to put my headphones in and find oh, a new yeah. album. It takes, oh, wow. yeah, and uh, just listen to it. And I was blown away. Uh, this is an artist that's been fairly well known in indie folk, indie rock circles. Uh, the band is called Lord Huron. Oh yeah, I'm familiar. Um, and uh, this album just came out this year. It's called Long Lost. Okay. I was doing a little research on it. There's actually not a ton of articles or reviews actually on the internet about this. But one thing that I did find was uh, the singer was talking about 
the studio that they that they own it's an older studio i think it was built in the 60s or 70s mm-hmm. and he was talking about how they've left everything original aside from like a lot of the electronics that they put in there are like some of their gear mm-hmm. but like all the stuff on the walls and like the decor and stuff it's all kind of original oh wow and so they came up with this concept for the album where they basically they basically created these characters that are still there in the studio. Like they kind of have come up with these urban legends that they feel like the studio is a little haunted. Oh. So they came up with this concept to write from the perspective of some of these characters uh, at their studio. Interesting. And so, uh, but the whole album musically mm-hmm. has this country western 60s uh, cinematic kind okay. of a feel. Okay. Um, here's one of their faster tunes. It's called it's called Not Dead Yet. That's cool. Check out some. So I'm going to play a clip of one other song. Um, just check out this intro here. This is a great. The cinematic vibe is really what I'm talking about because these feel like straight out of a country western film. It kind of feels like that a little bit, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they call it cosmic country because it kind of has this uh, reverb, almost a, not quite psychedelic vibes, but there's just so much reverb on everything, and mm-hmm. they kind of take a modern approach to songwriting, but use like a lot of the country western tones and vibes. Town of yeah. Tampico, Kansas. Yeah. There was a man. I know. You know like Johnny Cash is yeah. about to come in or something. It's great, man. I rode, love a, it. rode on a black horse. You know, something like that. Definitely check it out, everybody. It's uh there's 16 tracks, it's about an hour long. It's an excellent album. It's gonna make my top ten albums of the year, I believe. Wow. Wow, uh, bold, by the, by bold the prediction. Over. Um, but man, yes. So I'm ex- I'm really excited about music right now. I feel like we're finally getting a nice slate of albums that are yeah, coming that's out. Awesome. So cool, man. Well, do you have a book for this week? All right, I think I do.
This week on Bradford's Book Club, I have a book that I just finished at the beach. Last week I was not on the podcast because I was at the beach with my wife, who had a lovely time. And while I was there, getting sunburned on the beach, I started and finished a biography on Eugene Peterson titled A Burning in My Bones, the authorized biography of Eugene H. Peterson, translator of the message. And I absolutely loved it. It is written by Wynn Collier. And I'm just going to read from the back cover. Encounter the multifaceted life of one of the most influential and creative pastors of the past half century with unforgettable stories of Eugene's lifelong devotion to his craft and love of language, the influences and experiences that shaped his unquenchable faith, the inspiration for his decision to translate the message, and his success and struggles as a pastor, husband, and father. Author Wynn Collier was given exclusive access to Eugene and his materials for the production of this landmark work. Drawing from his friendship and expansive view of Peterson's life, Collier offers an intimate, beautiful, and earthly look into a remarkable life. For Eugene, the gifts of life were inexhaustible. The glint of fading light over the lake, a kiss from Jan, a good joke, a bowl of butter pecan ice cream. As you enter into his story, you'll find yourself doing the same. Noticing how the most ordinary things shimmer with a new and unexpected beauty. So, I imagine that most people know Eugene Peterson from The Message, but he is a prolific author. He's written a lot of other works that I would highly recommend and have influenced me as a pastor. I don't always agree with Eugene Peterson, but I'm always left thinking and stirred by his writing. And I'm going to make a bold statement. Do I, I don't think you get Shades Valley as it is today without Eugene Peterson. Wow. Without wow. Eugene Peterson. A lot of the things in this culture that people love so dearly, the family-like communal life, the emphasis on simplicity, the... A desire to grow in intimate relationships and not in size. I mean, that all comes from Peterson, and I believe we can uh, we can follow this up, fact check it. But I believe that Mike Garrigan, the pastor that had a major influence in shaping Sh- Shades Valley as we know it today, was heavily influenced by Eugene Peterson. So, if you have time, check it out. A Burning in My Bones, the autobiography of Eugene Peterson. He had such an interesting life. He's one of those men whose life is just as interesting as his writings. And so you can read about Eugene, the the pastor, the scholar, the marathon runner, the man that would meet with people in his office and just sit for 20 minutes with them, the man who people say it's hard to describe what it was like to just be with him in his presence. So you can check it out, A Burning in My Bones, at local bookstores or other places where books are sold. I love it. I definitely want to read that um, and check that out. For those who don't know what's going on in the studio right now, I have my youngest son, Zion, here with me. He starts daycare next week. This has been kind of a floating week. So he's been here at the office, and he is just uh, just having fun and terrorizing everything. It sounds like... He determined that it was going to be complete chaos 
while we were starting this. And so we've really been enjoying him picking up literally everything yes. that's in his reach. He did make three. It's pretty he pretty did, impressive. He did make three great picks from my DVD collection. Okay. Uh, Days of Heaven, the Terrence Malick film. Oh, way to go, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent. And the documentary about the Rolling Stones, Give Me Shelter. So good picks for Very him cool. as he was trying to destroy my discs. Very and I cool. don't know what he's doing now. He could be using the scissors to cut every cord yeah. on the other side of this wall right now. Uh, Brad, what are we doing today? Well, I am very excited because today joining me in Stream studio is my dear friend, Court Gatliff. Court, thank you so much for coming in the studio today. Th thanks for having me. You all have had some uh, legendary guests here at Four Streams, and so I'm honored to be here. You're joining the ranks. That's right. That's right. Yes, yeah, so you are a legend in your own right. It's, it's about time. Now, Court, how long have we been friends for? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, not that long. Five years? That's true. So you and your wife, Abby, were good friends with Jordan yes. when Jordan and I started dating. Yes. And I knew that I had to win y'all's approval. That's right. You did. Yeah, very early on. You so y'all invited us over. You That's cooked a beautiful meal. Yep. And I knew then and there that we were going to be close friends. Yeah, we, we weren't we weren't sold on you that <laughs> night. It took a little bit, but eventually uh, you, you did win us over. Yeah, that's great. And now, I mean, you and Abby are such close friends, and we have the joy and privilege of being neighbors. And I don't mean that in a spiritual sense. Right. Physically, you guys Literal live, neighbors. live behind us. I mean, yeah. what a gift that is. Yes, it's, uh, it's been a real treat to look out the back, the back window and see you working in the yard. Which I do a lot. That's right. Yeah. So, Court, you do exist outside of our friendship. Yeah. You have an identity that's not just attached to me. So, <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Uh, like Brad said, my name's Court Gatliff. Uh, I'm married to Abby Gatliff. That's my wife. We've been married for six years. We have a daughter who is 15 months old. Her name's mm. Eleanor. Yes. And uh, my wife and I both work at South Highland Presbyterian Church, which is in Five Points here in town. Beautiful church. Beautiful church. We've been there for about two years. Um, we both graduated from Beeson. I graduated in May 2020 and then came on full-time at the church after that. And uh, we've been married six years. Wow. Now, what's your position at the church? I am the assistant minister for discipleship. Okay. Uh, and so... I, that's sort of a fancy way of saying I'm the young adults pastor. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so, yeah, which uh, our congregation skews a bit older, so that's like anybody under 50 for the most part. <laughs> gotcha. And then what about Abby? What's her position? She uh, she actually just ex accepted a new a new position at the church. She's the assistant minister of you of let me get this right. She's the assistant minister of student and family discipleship. So she's okay. you, we'll youth have to pastor fact check that. and yeah. Youth yeah. pastor does a lot with families. Um so yeah, it's great. We our offices are across the hall from each other. Oh, that's so that's a, so cute. It's a good time. Yeah, super cute. It's a good time. Awesome. Well, Court, I have brought you on the podcast today to talk about death. Mm. Uh, as many of you know, at Shades Valley, death is a topic that I do not shy away from, and that I bring up in sermons and conversation. And I have found a companion. Someone who likes to talk about death, reflect on death with me, a weirdo just like I am uh, in Court Gatliff. So Court and I often will have conversations where we just talk about 
death and kind of various <laughs> aspects. Isn't that right? Just yeah, you know. we're, we're loads of fun at parties. For <laughs> totally, sure. totally. Yeah, just you know, on a, a beautiful Saturday afternoon, <laughs> we're strolling in the park with Eleanor and talking about the brutal realities of death. That's right. That's right. Everything yes. around us is decaying. Yes. Yep. But. Court has been influential in shaping some of my thoughts and some of my ideas, and so I thought it would be fun to have uh, Court come on the podcast today and for us to just have a conversation about death. We're, g- we're going to put the fun in funeral. <laughs> That's the content that I'm here for. That, That's right. This is why we brought you on. That's right. Okay, so, well, Court, why don't we start with talking a little bit about when you first started thinking deeply about death. When did you start reading about death or having conversations about death? And why would you do that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The more I sort of have these conversations with people, I think most people assume I must have experienced some sort of tragic death at a young age or or have experienced some significant loss. And Mm -hmm. sort of the irony is I actually have not. Like, hmm. I really haven't um, experienced death firsthand too closely. I mean, I lost my grandparents, but we weren't mm-hmm. particularly close. And I was yeah. very I was very young. Um, so it all started for me, I think, when, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, my mom was a hospice chaplain. Oh, wow. Uh, and then I'm, I'm a PK. My dad was a pastor. And those are both so jobs. Like a double PK. Du- yeah, yeah, more, pretty much. And those are both jobs, like hospice chaplaincy. Obviously, you're around death all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. that's your job to be around death. Yeah, yeah. And then my dad, you know, he was he was a pastor of a church, and so he was always on call for hospital visits, always doing funerals. I just have so many memories of him, of like hearing him creep down the stairs at like midnight to go visit someone at the hospital after a car wreck or, or something, mm. um, just responding to a crisis involving death. And so, you know, like normal families, we would talk about their jobs around the dinner table. Yeah. And so, you know, if your dad's an accountant, you talk about the office. When, you're, when your parents work around death so much, you end up talking about death. And so, yeah. you know, our dinner table conversation would be uh, my mom telling us about, you know, a, a young mom of three who has breast cancer and is about wow. to die and so we were sort of just like i was rocked by these realities at a young age and, yeah. and to my parents credit like i think they did it appropriately they weren't sort of mm. um protecting me from the realities of death unnecessarily which i think happens a lot but they also weren't sort of you know throwing me in there but we had a i remember we had a at the at the hospice there was a bring your kid to work day and so i went and like we did like art therapy with kids who were grieving who had lost parents wow. and um, got to tour all the rooms. And so it was actually like a really cool experience at the time that I didn't fully appreciate of being a little kid, being introduced to the idea of hospice and end-of-life care and, and all yeah. these sort of really, really big topics. But it, ironically, I was also really afraid of death. Like I, I was terrified. Like I would, if we drove mm. by a cemetery, I would have to close my eyes. Or even like if dri- driving by a funeral home when I was a little kid, I would have to like close my eyes. Oh, wow. Um, and so I think a lot of times with our fears, like we're we're obviously terrified, but also kind of, fascinated by what Mm. scares us Mm -hmm. um and so at some point for me that that fear kind of turned into fascination and not not like in a morbid way but just sort of in a um you know why am i so afraid of this what's what's going on here yeah Um, and i also remember i was always really really fascinated by martyrdom stories like uh uh, there was this book 
that DC Talk put out. Yes. Throwback. Yes. Called, uh, we have talked about this on the podcast before. Oh, really? So listeners will be familiar. Yeah, yes. it's called like uh, Voice of the Martyrs or something. Or it was, it was called Jesus Freak, but yes. it was like by this group called Voice of the Martyrs. Yes. And it was just these horrible stories of faithful yeah. Christians uh, yeah. being killed for their faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would like stay up late reading them. Yeah, me too. And I was, it was fascinating. But I, I mean, I didn't have the totally. language for why I was fascinated, but there was something so compelling about someone who believed this so much that even in the face of such horrific death they held fast to their faith and so yeah. that was sort of like a, that was like sort of for me where the combination of death and faith overlapped yeah. when i was young yeah interesting yeah it, so growing up did you go to a lot of funerals because i've talked to some pastors that have said that the first funeral that they went to was a funeral that they led oh wow yeah <laughs> as a pastor right and that can be a pretty jarring experience yeah for real so i was curious with your mom being a hospice chaplain and then your dad being a ministry as well if you grew up seeing them officiate and lead funerals yeah no i mean i i didn't go to very many i went to a couple and i remember i mean i remember very distinctly the first time i saw a dead body at a funeral um again i was very young and i was still very very scared of like death even like we had this is going to sound lame, but we had a coffee table in our yeah. house that sort of resembled a coffin, like it had like a lid that opened up. Shut up! And it, I mean, it, it was in, it was intentionally. No, 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 no. Mate, okay. It just to, in my like young imagination, oh, okay. I was like, that looks like a coffin, and it scared uh, me. Like I like didn't like being in the room alone with it. So that's like the level of anxiety and fear that death produced in me when I was wow, little. Um, wow. And so I remember we there was a a really really tragic incident at our church where a kid in the youth group, he was probably 14 or something. My sister's good friend. He was riding his bike in the parking lot of a mall, like very slowly, no big deal, but he wasn't wearing a helmet. And a woman just backed out again, very slowly, but just like knocked him off his bike and he hit his head and died. And so it was just this horrible, horrible incident. And uh, so the whole church obviously went to the funeral and that was the first time I like, like the, during the visitation, they had open casket and so that I really didn't know what I was getting into when I was little. Uh, yeah. But I remember sort of acci- like accidentally walking by and seeing it and being, again, sort of terrified and also fascinated. And but all that to say, no, I really didn't go to very many funerals. I mean, I, w- mm. I went to a few, but you yeah. know, it wasn't like, oh, it's dad's leading a funeral today. Let's all go. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I didn't go to very many. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you were at Beeson, you had the opportunity to take some time and study mm-hmm. death and Christianity. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so at Beeson, uh, y- you have the option to do an independent study if you can convince a professor to take you on. So one of my electives, I did a study on the theology of death and dying okay, with yeah. uh, Carl Beckwith, mm-hmm. um, who's a professor at Beeson. And I was really interested interested in the idea there's this um there's this medieval tradition called the ars moriendi which is the Mm. art of dying it's latin for the art of dying and these were basically pamphlets in the middle ages of like how to prepare for death um interesting and i was just really fascinated by them and then i was really you know i'm a protestant obviously uh and so i was really fascinated by how the reformation sort of changed how we think about death and dying compared to sort of more catholic influenced middle ages Ah, okay um so yeah, I did. I wrote a few papers on that, and that was sort of when I started to see it more as like an academic study than a sort of personal <laughs> fascination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so uh, at the beginning too, maybe we can talk about this. I think some people would say that to talk about death or to have a, a podcast on death 
or to go on a walk and talk about death is just morbid. One of these critics is my mother, you know, so this is very personal for me. Sure, yeah. So some would say, you know, to talk about death is just kind of morbid or, or weird. Why would you spend time thinking about this? Shouldn't we as Christians be thinking about life and yeah. and beauty, so on and so forth? So what, what would you say to them? That's a great question. Um, and for me, so Psalm 90, verse 12, mm-hmm. um, it's... it's it says, teach us to number our days yeah. so that we might obtain a heart of wisdom, mm. right? A mm-hmm. heart of wisdom. And so, you know, according to the psalmist, uh, according to God's word, contemplating our mortality, thinking about our death, numbering our days is one way that we grow in wisdom. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's really not sort of this, this morbid thing, but the Bible actually commends it, commends us to do this yeah. uh, as, a, as a way to grow, as mm-hmm. as as Christians who are seeking to be become more wise and more faithful, contemplating our mortality is one way to do that. Um, so then, but then apart from the, I mean, apart from the Bible, um, are we allowed to say that apart from the Bible? Uh, I'll I'll check with Jonathan okay. on that, but I think cool. so. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just in general, like contemplating our mortality, just realizing we're gonna die someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, puts things in perspective, right? That's the whole idea. It's and that that's mm. I think that's connected to the to what makes us wise. Yeah, it, yeah. it forces us to focus our attention, our love, uh, to develop habits that reflect the fact that we're going to die. And so, mm. um, it really puts puts everything in perspective. Of, yeah. Okay. Everything that I'm sort of pursuing right now, you know, apart from sort of like deep Christian relationships, like none of this will last. Yeah. Uh, and so, so it, it really changes your perspective i think uh, yeah and helps totally. it. it makes us question our priorities yeah which totally think, which i think is really really important um and this is not again this is not like a distinctly christian idea there are a lot of philosophical and religious traditions i mean pretty much every religious tradition encourages the contemplation of death and in, in a lot of ways or at least in some interesting way. yeah um well and i haven't i mean that's sort of probably a little bit of a broad generalization but there's there's always some sort of stream in every philosophical tradition saying think about death there's something important about contemplating um, our our mortality, and usually it's because it helps us lead to sort of moral improvement. Yeah. Um, so David Brooks, he's a columnist mm-hmm. for the New York Times. A couple yeah. of years ago, he wrote this piece um, talking about um, resume virtues and eulogy virtues, which I think is a really helpful distinction. Interesting. So he says, yeah, resume virtues are like the things that make us marketable in the workplace. Like you know, you get a good you get a good job, you add it to your resume. Um, you know, you want to climb the ladder, all these things that sort of boost your resume. Yeah, yeah. And then he said there are uh, eulogy virtues, and eulogy is, you know, what someone, it's the, the speech someone gives about you at, at your funeral. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, you know, there's also these eulogy virtues of you want people to remember you as kind, as gracious, as welcoming, as loving, and all these things. And we spend most of our life chasing after resume virtues rather than growing in the eulogy virtues. Interesting. Uh, and again, so he's sort of, I mean, uh, he's not working within an inherently Christian framework, but even he's recognizing, thinking about our death, thinking about what would someone say about me at my funeral, sort of mm-hmm. points us in a more moral direction, at least theoretically. Yeah, interesting. That reminds me, there was an African-American preacher, I'm blanking on his name, but he was speaking to high school students, and he said he asked them at their funeral Will people be giving titles 
or will they be given testimonies? Mm, that'll preach. That'll preach, yeah, right? No, that, that, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, it's the same idea for sure. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, how will people remember you? And again, so there's one way to sort of take that and be like, well, I just want people to remember me. Like it makes it all about ourselves. And I think that is sort of the uh, like secular tendency is like, mm. I want to be remembered. I want my legacy to be something good. Right. Yeah. But what's think, your legacy? Yeah. I think Christians though have a distinctly, you have a distinct way of sort of contemplating our mortality where it actually pushes us towards Christ. Like it mm. pushes us to love Christ more, to be more thankful for what he's done for us. When we think about the reality of death, we think about the fact that everyone we love <laughs> is going to die, uh, yeah. which is a bummer, right? Like that, that sucks. Uh, right. We don't, yeah. we don't Not want good. that to happen. Yeah. And, and, um, St. Augustine, he, I, for, I'm not, I'm not going to try to quote him, but he basically says like every moment we're marching closer to death. Every moment we're marching closer to death. Um, and when you think about that, again, mm. some might say, well, that's morbid. Uh, but as Christians, okay, we're marching towards death. Yeah, uh, That leads us to worship the Lord who has conquered death on our behalf and who invites us into eternal life, right? Mm. And so contemplation of death, I think, should ultimately lead us to worship yeah. above all else. Yeah. Um, that's so and good. it's just part of being human. Like, so that, like, theological right. anthropology, right? Like, what, what does it mean to be human? According to the Bible, we're we're the only creatures, as far as we know, who have sort of the intellectual and mental capacity to visualize and meditate on our own destruction. Yeah, you know, like our, like my dog is not sitting around being like, "Well, I probably have ten more years and then I'm going to die," uh, or at least I hope she's not. That would make me really sad. But <laughs> you know, like this is a distinctly human thing. We yeah. are we are we are the only creatures who are sort of aware of their own death. Hmm. And so the more we sort of think about it, the more human we become. And yeah. it, it sort of it asks us to explore these really, really big questions about what matters most. Yeah. So you, you would say that it, someone could make an argument that in order to live wisely, yes. Christians must contemplate and talk about death. If wisdom is living rightly in worship of God and living rightly in the world— then numbering our days is essential to gaining that wisdom to to live rightly and to see Christ in his beauty and his power and to know the significance of his death or resurrection. Yes, totally. That's a that's a great summary of what I was trying to say. <laughs> no. But I I mean I think I mean if you think about it, the death is the biggest problem for humans, right? Like yeah. like that's sort of we have a lot of small problems in our life and that's the one that is waiting for us all, and we can't do anything about it. And so, I mean, once you realize what Christ has done and how he's delivered us from the powers of sin and death, the more we can think about that, again, the more we're going to love him, the more it's going to cause us to worship, the more it's going to want us to invite others into that relationship to meet Jesus, the man who conquered death. Yeah, Um, yeah. And this is, I mean, again, this is is a rich idea throughout the Christian tradition. Uh, Right, there's, There's a quote from Martin Luther, the famous reformer, who says that we should familiarize ourselves with death during our lifetime. So, you know, not on our deathbed, but during our lifetime. We should Mm. familiarize ourselves with death during our lifetime, inviting death into our presence when it is still at a distance and not on on the move. So basically, too often we wait until there's a point of crisis in our life, or like, you know, we get a diagnosis, or... Someone we love is in a wreck or something, something horrible. Yeah, to actually start to think about these things. And Martin Luther is saying, no, we need to think about it now when things are actually pretty good, because uh, because you know once you're in a crisis, you're not thinking clearly. And yeah, so the totally. more we can contemplate these ideas, the more we can 
um, apply them to our hearts and our minds, the more prepared we'll be to actually face death. And um, and again, again, this is just all over the Christian tradition. Benedict, yeah. the you know the rule of Saint Benedict, created the Benedictine monks. Uh-huh. And in his rule, he writes, "Keep death daily before your eyes." That's like one of his main instructions to all monks everywhere: keep death daily before your eyes. Wow! Again, because it leads to wisdom. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, it's interesting because you were talking about how essentially every religion or philosophy reflects and faces death in some way. But it seems like even in a secular world that might reject religion or might reject philosophical ideas, it seems like they can't escape having conversations about death. And I've heard you talk about three ways that Mm. our culture faces death. Yeah. And I, I found that really helpful. So I was wondering if you would talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And just for some context, in the 70s, there was a book that came out by a sociologist named Ernest Becker called okay. The Denial of Death. And have you read it? I have. Yeah. And uh, I recommend it. Okay. And well, it's a, and it's, it's a bit heady and it's philosophical, but it, it was really groundbreaking at the time. So basically his sort of, this is a really simplified version of what Mm -hmm. he's doing in this book but in in the same way that freud sort of made everything about sex deep down Mm. uh ernest becker does that but with death and he's basically saying all of our um all of our societies also the cultural artifacts we make basically our entire lives is is our immortality project like it's how we deal Mm. with the fear of death Hmm. Um, and so we're all sort of aware of the fact that we're going to die and we have to do something with that fear or else it's paralyzing, and we have to figure out a way to make meaning in our lives. Is there kind of this, to continue with the Freud comparison, is there kind of this unconscious? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so none of us are aware of, like, you know, not, not like I'm, I'm, I'm writing this song as a way to sort of create something that outlives me. You know, and, like, very yeah. few of us actually think that right, yeah. day in and day out. But mm-hmm. it's his argument is that it's sort of always under the surface. Interesting. And that we're, we're creating... Um, we're erecting these defenses to to shield us from the the full on brunt of contemplating that life might be meaningless. And obviously, yeah. as Christians, we don't think it's meaningless. But in, if right in sort of the secular context, yeah, if, in the face of death, yeah, like if we're just sort of uh, you know we we are just creatures like anybody else or any other creatures, and then eventually we're going to die and return to the earth, and that's the end of the story. Then like, there's really no meaning to anything. Yeah, and that you know we're, we're as humans, we long for meaning. Um, Anyway, so he mm-hmm. his whole idea is that we're always sort of doing something with this fear of death. It's driving us in some way, which yeah. I, which I, I I overall agree with. I would say, uh-huh. um, or at least I think it's a rich idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so sort of in art, what I and these aren't necessarily original to me, but I, I've sort yeah. of tried to synthesize some ideas of how in our increasingly secular society we deal with the fear of death, and I think because the church in America often doesn't look as different from secular society my, my, my. as we would want. Yeah. I think these these work their way into the church as mm. well. Um, so, the, so the first one that, that we've talked about before is uh, the option of denying death. Yeah. Right? So, so there's denial. And basically this is just like pretending like it doesn't exist, which is what we do most of the time. Like we can't constantly be thinking about death because we have bills to pay. We have jobs, you know, we have, we have life to live. So you can't constantly be thinking about it, but some people just never, unless you're Edgar Allan Poe, maybe that's right. That's right. Yes. He thought about it a lot. (laughs) Um, 
so this idea of denying death is just sort of like pretending like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and I think our culture in the sort of Western America 2021 world that we live in is really, really good at aiding our denial of death. Yep. Um, we have we have this false sense of total control over every aspect of our lives, right? Mm. So like yep. even what you see on the internet, like you you know, sure there's an algorithm, but it's based on your tastes. You're you're tailoring it. You can block people if you don't like them. Like we just we have this illusion that we're in control of everything. Yeah. And then so this, you know, death is sort of this distant thing. Yeah, that we totally. kind of think we can control or ignore. But most of the time we're we just ignore it because we're distracted, right? Yeah. And so again, uh, Netflix, scrolling on Instagram every single yeah. night. Like at night when you're lying in bed, that's when sort of the existential dread tends to settle in on your mind. And what do we do with it? Instead of instead of sort of thinking, okay, why am I anxious right now? Why am I asking these big questions about the meaning of my life? Yeah. We you know we reach for our phone. Detach. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we detach, we yeah. scroll. And mm-hmm. I'm I mean I'm guilty of it as much as anybody. Yeah, me too. Um for sure. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, Becker, he has this great this great quote that I think really summarizes and this was in the 70s, but I think it summarizes uh our our day and age. He says modern man and modern woman is drinking and drugging himself out of awareness. Oof. And I think we do this, like, you know, we might not literally be drinking and drug, but, like, there are all sorts of things that serve the purpose of drugging us out of awareness and sort of making us numb to reality. Yeah. So I think that's the first one. There's denial of death. Yeah. Well, and just to continue on that, yeah. I can remember in Tim Keller's book, he has this little book on death. I don't know if you've read I actually it. actually haven't. I have it, but I haven't but read it. But he talks about, in colonial times, how a lot of people died in their forties. Yeah. And so kids grew up with their parents dying at pretty early ages. Oh yeah. And so growing up, you're facing death. And at that time you don't have the the medical advances that we have today That's to right. prolong life. You also don't have the technology in regards to dealing with the dead. It was a lot different. People didn't die in hospitals. They died in homes. You yeah. saw that. The community was maybe more involved in, in burying the dead. And so you were just forced to face death in a way that with modern technology, medical advances, maybe the modern funeral home, we don't yes. have to face today. Yes. And that's not to bemoan medical advances or advances in technology. It's just to kind of acknowledge that the situation that we're in is not the situation that a lot of people in the history of the world have experienced right in regards to this kind of distance from death totally yeah i think you know none of us wants to go back to the 1800s in terms of like medical technology no way but i do you know while we can give thanks for medical technology and all these advancements that have been made in this field it's also okay to question what's also been lost along the way while Mm, we've adopted that's a a helpful way to frame it yeah yeah and, and then how can we sort of recover what has been lost and so i think that's one of those things is like the the sort of modern way of dying which is very institutionalized very professionalized happens often in a hospital Mm -hmm. in a totally anonymous room where someone else died the day before and then you're going to die today and someone new will die tomorrow you know it's just sort of the sterile room um all of that takes place behind closed doors that you can't really get to unless you're immediate family. All of these things. It takes death away from the community, puts it in the hands of professionals. And then mm-hmm. once you do die, you know, your your body's sent to the morgue at the hospital and then a van comes and picks it up and takes it to the funeral home. Again, a stranger's caring for your body. 
um, it's completely out of sight and out of mind from mm-hmm. the vast majority of the community, except yeah. for a few chosen people who sort of deal with death on our behalf, so we don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I do think that's a real shame in mm. in a lot of ways. But that that really aids with our denial of death. We just don't see it, right? And then all of a sudden, it happens, and we confront it confront it for a day or two with the visitation and the funeral and maybe the burial. Yeah. And then we go. It goes. It becomes invisible again mm. until the next emergency. Yeah. For and sure. I, and I think we can also add our, our culture prizing youth. Yes. And yes. if we're talking about what's on TV and what's on social media, it's typically young and beautiful and about life and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I mean, the way that we treat the elderly in general is, again, yeah. to institutionalize them. Back, I mean, yeah. not not even that long ago, 100 years ago, multi-generations living together. So a six-year-old watched their grandparent age, decay, mm. and die in the home. And they were, I mean, the, again, sounds grim, but they right. were sort of surrounded by the sights, sounds, and smells of death. Yeah, wow. Um, and so when we just sort of put old people completely in an institution where we don't have to see them yeah yep. what does that tell us yep. about what we value and yeah totally um, we, we just don't want to see decay in our mm-hmm. society mm-hmm. yeah so, so we hide wow. from it okay so the first denial yeah. of death yeah. that's good that's really helpful uh the second what's behind door number two yeah door number two defying death okay. right so so we also defy death uh this is sort of the view that death is like an obstacle that can be overcome so I think of like the wellness industry right now, like mm. uh, that's so focused on youth, like a trillion dollar industry. Yeah, it's massive, massive industry, and I'm, yeah. I'm not saying it's all bad by any means. Sure. But again, what's sort of the basis of it is delaying death as long as possible. Which again, mm-hmm. that's a good, noble goal, right? But it's all these things of if you take the right pills, if you take the right vitamins, if you you know find the right shell guru yeah and rub it on your temple or so just like they have all these weird things have you done that with the shell i've tried it yeah okay well we'll let me know if it works yeah we'll see i'm down um just also all these sort of increasingly outlandish um practices and Mm. you know yeah like you said gurus we're basically at the end of the day they talk about wellness but it's just trying to delay death uh which again is not inherently bad right but you know i think there's something to be said for maybe we shouldn't um go to these insane lengths and totally yeah. alter our bodies just to delay the inevitable a few years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so we're sort of defying death in that way. And then in a very literal sense, I think some of the billionaires out in Silicon Valley uh, are the like most literal example of this where, yes. I mean, I mean, these... so I've talked about this in a sermon before oh, really? and you were the one that pointed me on to this mm-hmm. and I did not give you credit. Oh. So if you want to go blast me plagiarism. for plagiarism, please for sure. do. But when you told me about this, I was absolutely blown away. Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, these these guys have uh, billions and billions of dollars, yeah. right? And you're like, oh, great, cure this disease or feed the whole world, which right. they could they could do, and they're <laughs> they're pouring at least millions and millions and millions, if not billions, yeah, into these sort of obscure scientific projects. To um, they would use the language of hacking death, like the body is just a computer. And, you know, you can hack mm. any software. And so death, if the body is a computer, is a bug in the system. And you can hack it and overcome it and figure out a way to completely prevent the aging process, completely prevent the decaying process. Yeah. Um, and we can overcome death. We can conquer death. And that's like their literal goal, quite literally, is to defy death in every way and just say, I don't have to die. 
I can live to be 200. So you talked about uh, CEOs in Silicon Valley. Are there any specific individuals that come to mind that have <laughs> well, talked about this or uh, yeah, bl- put so, any projects in place? Or Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure if, if I'm pronouncing his name right, but Peter Thiel, he's a massive, massive, very, PayPal. very famous. Yeah, PayPal. Right. Okay. Yeah, PayPal, angel investor in Facebook, Uber, all of them. I mean, yeah. he's like the sort of main angel investor in Silicon Valley. Yeah, he's he talks about this a lot. He's he's doing all sorts of projects with like blood infusion stuff of like injecting younger blood in himself uh-huh. and, and all all these all these things. Yeah. Um, and then I, I I forget their names, but the Google founders have also invested billions okay. in, in this ty- various versions of these types of projects that are okay. basically just trying to um, make the lifespan yeah. like hundreds of years instead of 80. Yeah. Or well, one of the articles you sent me, I can remember Teal saying something like, most people just accept death, but I'm going to fight it. Yes. Yeah. 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 He's, yeah. Def- he's literally defying death. And, yeah, yeah. and what I, I mean, their instincts are right. Like death is bad. Mm, that's we, interesting. We should, we shouldn't sort of gladly embrace it like death is yep. a bad thing yeah it's a problem um yeah that that we need a solution for and i just think they have the wrong solution i, I, I just don't yeah. think it's going to work ultimately um right. and i mean but like if and that's another thing that christians need to and i haven't really done the work on this but we need to think about what mm-hmm. is a christian okay let's say these guys succeed and they're able to make the human lifespan 200 years through some yeah. through some artificial stuff Whatever, uh, <laughs> that's the technical lingo. What's a Christian response to that? I don't, I don't know, I don't know yet. But you know, yeah. do we sort of embrace that, or do we accept our finitude, yeah, and allow our hands to, or allow our lives just to be in the hands of God? Mm. Um, I lean in that direction for yeah. sure. But yeah, yeah. like these are these are issues that seemed kind of sci-fi y right. a while ago, and now right. they're actually really pressing. So we need we need a lot of Christian ethicists to be doing some good work on this stuff, mm, and some yeah. are, but um, right, right. Yeah, it's it's these are the kind of questions that are going to become increasingly more important. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, so defying death. Yeah, we've yes. got denying death, defying death. Do we yeah. have a D for the third one? We don't, unfortunately. We have an A. We have accepting. Jonathan death. would be able to get a third. Yeah, name. that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, we have accepting death, and so this one's tricky because this is one that I think probably looks most similar to a Christian response to death. Okay, interesting. Um, but so so again, this is a very very. Uh, ancient idea of stoicism like in antiquity the stoics one of their big things was you know you face death with sort of a cool detachment and peace mm. because it's just a natural part of life um yeah. you have to accept it and if you accept it then you'll be able to live without fear you go to your deathbed without fear yeah which so is kind of re- remove any negative feelings yeah yeah if you will yeah it's just a natural part of life that's mm-hmm. all it is uh, there's no reason to rage against yep. it. It's going to happen to us all. No need to get upset. No need to get upset. It's almost like an embrace of it, of like, yeah, this is natural. It's almost like it's good, you know? Like, yeah. you're, we're supposed to die. We're creatures. Um, and there's a, there's a modern version of this. It's very popular right now. It's called the Death Positive Movement. Okay. Um, and there, there have been a few books published over the past few years um, exploring this idea. A lot of them by funeral directors and people who are who are closely interacting with death. Wow. Um and I think there's a lot of good that comes out of the death positive movement. So their big thing is just like getting people to talk about death, which is what we're doing right now. So that's yep. a, I mean, I wholeheartedly, I think that's great. They're yep. really big on getting people to um, prepare for their death, like make make the proper arrangements, have conversations mm. about what kind of funeral they might want. Um, so I think the strength of the death positive movement is in starting conversations. 
right? Yeah. So yeah. that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Where where I think we would, it's also totally separated, generally speaking, from sort of any religious element. It's kind of like vaguely spiritual, okay. But it's a lot of like language about returning to the earth and okay. um, so there's no future hope of life. No, rather yeah. it's just yeah. Uh, you in some way contribute to the history of yes. the world, and so uh, leave the world better than you found it, yeah. and be at peace. Be at peace, knowing that the universe will use your contribute uh, contributing part or what have you, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of just like stoicism, kind of reheated yeah, yeah. for the modern modern age. Microwaved. Yeah, microwave stoicism. Yeah. And again, like that'd be a great band name. My, yes, right. <laughs> um, but again, like n- not all that's bad. Right. But it, again, it's vaguely spiritual, and and I'm speaking very generally. There, I'm sure there are very faithful Christians who sort of would identify as part of the death positive movement. Like it's yep. a huge, broad movement okay. without a central, okay, yeah, sort of institution, right, defining it. Um, well, I feel like we see this in a lot of movies. Would you say that's fair? Like I remember you turned me on to the show The Good Life, and The Good Place. Yeah, The Good Place, not yeah. The Good Life. Yeah. The Good Place. Yeah. And I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was interesting what they were trying to do. Totally. But to ruin the ending, spoiler alert if you want to see it. But at the end, essentially, heaven is kind of seen as this uh, eternal earth in yeah. regards to time. And so the characters see that it's miserable and that as essentially you experience all that there is to experience in a few hundred years and then you just kind of become a shell yeah. of a human being. And so the final end, I mean, how many seasons is it that you've been following these characters? Yeah. The, at the end, you know, it's uh, the t- two of the main characters sitting overlooking a valley and just kind of acknowledging that uh, eventually they're going to go back into the earth. And so they're going to enjoy the time they have together and then it will end. And actually it ending and they're going into nothingness is the best thing that could happen to them because to continue on in this kind of earthly human state forever would be hell. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. And I feel like I see that more and more in, in movies and in TV shows. So yeah, there's a lot of language like, and the good place is a perfect example of this, but there's a lot of language in this, in this sort of idea of accepting death of death being like our final journey, death, you know, death being a journey. Uh, but there's very little discussion of where that journey is to or what it's for. It's oh. just sort of a journey that we're all on, and then we die and we return to the earth, and you know our spirit lives on in the people that we loved or or what have you. Yeah, um, yeah. So again, there's a I mean there's a lot of good things about it, but ultimately I would say it's not a yeah truly Christian yeah view of death. But that's ho- so helpful to see that that's kind of the waters that we're right. swimming in. Right. And I think it's helpful to reflect and say, okay, in what ways have I been shaped by these views? What are some positive elements of this view? And then what are some ways that a Christian understanding, a biblical understanding of death would, would go against them? Yeah, totally. So that's great. Well, awesome. I hate to stop because we're on a roll, but we need to, Court, because we are going to do a lightning round. Are you Uh-oh. ready? Uh-oh, I guess so. Do I have a choice? Okay, so, Cord, are you familiar with the lightning round? Uh, I'm not. Okay, well, that's great, because here at Chase Midweek, the lightning round is a chance for us to ask you some rapid-fire questions, Ah. and for you, without thinking about your answer or the consequences of your answer, 
to just respond with whatever comes off the top of your head. All and right, so let's do it. That's, the, that's how the game goes. So I'm just going to ask some questions, and then you just respond as, as fast as you can, okay? Okay. And then we'll see if we talk about it. All right, the first one is Biden or Trump? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We, we would not ask that question. Okay. Oh, Number two, how do you like your eggs? Scrambled. Scrambled. Anything in the eggs? Uh, yeah, I love like uh, chopping up some peppers, yeah. a little bit of shredding some cheese, onions. Basically like an omelet. Yeah. I like an omelet. Oh, yeah. That sounds so good right For now. For sure. What's your, what was your favorite toy growing up? I I can't even like remember a toy I had. Oh, I loved airsoft guns. Is that a toy? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. So my friends and I like we would always like play airsoft. I Those... thought you were gonna say like you got a little coffin as a kid or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had a airsoft. coffin. Bed. Oh yeah, yeah. That can hurt though. Do you do you ever get shot in yeah. the face or anything? No, no. We'd okay. wear masks. Okay, good, good. Uh, name a pet peeve. A pet peeve. Um, I I really hate. Um, I can't. Okay, I hate when uh, people I might live with leave <laughs> <laughs> leave like water glasses all over the house. <laughs> all right, Eleanor, you heard it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, if you had to pick a new name for yourself, what would it be? Brad Brown. <laughs> is that is that a first and middle name or? Uh, Brad. Yeah, just Brad Brown. Just Brad Brown. Okay. What's the most beautiful place you've ever been? Um. You know, I think, so my wife and I lived in France for a year, Yeah, and we went to Burgundy, which is a big wine region, in, in October, which is the harvest, so everything was like, all the leaves were golden, my and goodness. it was like, I was like in a sea of golden grapes, and it was um, <laughs> it was beautiful. I love wow. it. It's like my happy place. That sounds beautiful. Would you say that, because you, you've traveled to several places in Europe, right? Yeah. But do you have a favorite location? Like, if you can only go back to one, do you have one you would pick? Um, I, I I mean, we have like a really, it's not the most beautiful, but we have a really soft spot in our hearts for Paris just because we mm. spent a lot of time. We've, we've been extremely privileged to spend quite a bit of time there compared to the average American. Yeah. And so it's like, it's kind of like very familiar to us and I like, we're just, Abby and I are very, very happy there. Well, and your wife, Abby is fluent. In yeah. French. She's fluent in French. Right? And so like, like my idea of just like a perfect day is just sitting, this is very pretentious. It's just oh, like sitting at a cafe along the river in Paris, just people watching, that which is what we lovely. did a lot. So again, like there are, there are probably cooler places that yeah. we've been, but that's just like my idea of like peace. Ooh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. Who inspires you? Um, oh man, that's a great question. Um, who does inspire me? Uh, so as like, as like a Christian thinker, like the kind of mm-hmm. people that I want to model my sort of public life after yeah. and andy crouch is a christian oh, yeah. writer he's written Love a bunch andy of books crouch. and you're a big crouch guy yeah. i just think he's the best at one of the best public christian voices right now mm-hmm. i grew i mean keller tim keller for me pastorally yep. and preaching wise was mm-hmm. massively influential in high school and onward yeah so he was incredibly formative for me good answer if you could only watch one show on repeat for the rest of your life what would it be uh the oc <laughs> I love The O.C. It's my favorite television show. I've never seen it. Why really? Would, yeah. W- w- give a recommendation so, for those that haven't. Well, so I, something about me, I love, uh, like, teen drama is my favorite genre <laughs> of anything. Like, the new Olivia Rodrigo album, or it's not new at this point, but, yeah. I mean, I've just been bumping it in okay. the car nonstop, because yeah. okay. it's just teen, teenage angst. I love it. Uh, and The O.C. Is a, is a show that came out on Fox in the early 2000s, 
Uh, it takes place in Orange Orange County, California. Yeah, it's about yeah. four teenagers. This this one kid is from a bad part of town and sort of a, a do good lawyer type uh, yeah. in Orange County welcomes him into his family. So it's, I mean, okay, honestly, it, it's funny to laugh about, but it's honestly a beautiful portrayal of like family and adoption. Interesting. And, and I, you know, I think there's Christ figures involved. My my my. It's, it's a beautiful example of male friendship. You. I, see, I had no idea. It's it's, it's low key deep, for sure. It's an amazing show, in my opinion. I can, where can can you watch it anywhere now? Is it is it streaming? I, I have the box set on DVD. I'm gonna borrow it, but um, I need to see if these claims are true. I think it's on Hulu. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the fastest speed you've ever driven in a car? Probably. I've I've hit a hundred one time. Yeah, like on an open road in yeah, college. Yeah. That's probably it. Okay. What extracurricular activities were you involved in during high school? <laughs> uh, I was really, really involved in church. I was like the president of our youth group. I didn't play sports. Hold on, hold on. Your youth group had a president? We had like a council. And, I, and actually, I was the vice president. My friend was the president. Excuse uh, me. Okay, wow. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, You'd have to now, fact check Now that, that I'm remembering this. Yeah. I, I wasn't like on... I was briefly on our school's fencing team to get out of PE class. I joined the fencing team. Wow. I wasn't very good. Has any of that stayed with you? Uh, I don't know. I haven't. Those okay. skills haven't been tested. In you don't a while. have a suit or anything. No. Okay. Uh, so I did that a little bit. I biked a lot in high school. Like I was just very involved in my. Like I had a lot of friends, and we just, we just yeah. had a good time. <laughs> yeah. You biked across America, right? I did. Yeah. Senior year of high school. Absolutely insane. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Okay. Outside the Bible, if you could have dinner with anyone from history, who would it be? Oh man, I'm trying to think who comes to mind first. Lightning round. That's right. Um, That's the whole thing. Again, this seems really like basic evangelical Christian. Can't wait. But like Lewis and Tolkien. Yeah. In Oxford. That's a great answer. Like I'm just, in I'm, Oxford. I'm basic like that, and I'm okay with that. But yeah. yeah. I mean, what both, was the bar they went to? The Eagle and Child. The Eagle and Child. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that'd be fun. Uh, yeah. Okay. Who would play you in a movie of your life? Uh, I, I would want it to be Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> I think Jake Gyllenhaal's great. I do too. I think he's a phenomenal actor, and I think he would capture your essence. Really? I think so. I think he could do it. That means that I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Desert Island. You can take three books. What are they? Is the Bible included? The bu- no, not the Bible. Uh, I would take Lord of the Rings because mm-hmm. I think it's endlessly readable. I actually think that I think it's underrated. Wow. I know. I think it's underrated. Like every time I read it, I'm like, this is so much better than even people who love it realize. Interesting. Uh, so I do that. I would do, um, I would do, Confessions by Augustine. Ooh, I think. Yeah. And then I'm a Presbyterian, so I'll go with John Calvin's Institutes. Okay, there's three good picks, and last two. All right, you ready? Yeah. We're gonna uh, go to the theme of death. If you could pick one movie star to speak at your funeral, who would it be? Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Bono or something oh, like that. No, no, no. You know. Yeah, no, Jake, Jake, Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. I wonder for sure. what he would say. Is he a Christian? Uh, not that I know of. But he, could he, be I mean, he might be. He Maybe? might be. Well, we'll look up that. Um, okay, and would you rather be buried or cremated? I'd rather be buried. All right. Would you like to expand upon your answer? Yeah, and this is uh, this is a pastorally sensitive issue. Yes, it is. So cremation. That I, that I threw in in the speed round. That's right, yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um. So cremation, cremation is right now. A couple of years ago, it it 
became the most popular way to handle human remains. Uh-huh. Uh, it passed the 50% mark. So, so Really? We, yeah, yeah, a couple okay. years ago. So majority of people are now being cremated. Is it because of cost? Is that a main thing? Yeah, yeah, for okay. the most part. I mean, the, 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 the main benefit of cremation is that it's, generally speaking, cheaper, more okay. efficient, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't, I would not say cremation is a sin. I want to get that on the record. To be clear. To yeah. be clear. I don't think it's a sin. I think um, the way that I read the Bible leads me to conclude that I think burial is the preferred sort of normative practice for Christians. Okay. It, it has been throughout the history of the church. Um, I think in the Bible, one of the main metaphors that Paul uses for you know death and resurrection is like a seed being planted in the ground. So really it comes down to what, what we believe the rituals that we partake in are communicating to the world. Mm-hmm. So you know I think all religious rituals are communicating something about the story that we believe we're living. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Um, and so our rituals are more like they actually they matter because they're 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 saying something about what we believe about ultimate things. And so I think cremation is a really modern, I mean, it's like past a hundred years. It's extremely oh, modern. Um, and it has, uh, enlightenment anti-Christian roots. Like the whole idea was to mm. shun the idea of a Christian burial. That's how the first cremation sort of happened. At, le- at least I'm speaking in the West. Okay. I can't speak to sort of what was happening in Asia or like, I, I don't know much about those burial practices, but in okay. Western culture, Europe, America, uh, it was it was sort of um, uh, going against the more traditional understanding of Christian burial. Okay. So I'm already sort of uneasy about the roots of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Of you know, and but a lot of it is um, a lot of the reasons that we do it now are for efficiency. Right. It's cheaper, et cetera. And right. So, yeah. but to me, that's more a problem of the burial industry. Of like, yeah, it does. Like, burial shouldn't cost that much. Mm. Um, we shouldn't be buying expensive caskets. I think, I think, I think the way that we treat mortal remains is a way that the church can show what they ultimately believe about the dignity of the body. Mm. Right. Uh, like I joke that Joseph of Arimathea is like my patron saint. He, uh, he's, this is (laughs) the man. Well, this is the man who sees that Jesus is, you know, he's dead on the cross and he asked Mm. to bury, he asked if he can take the body and bury Jesus. Yeah. Um, and that's an act of love and devotion. How he treated the body reflected his love and devotion for Christ. Mm. And if we're all images of Christ, if we're all made in the image of God, if the body matters, then I think how we handle the body matters, even in death. Yeah. And so I don't think it's one of these things where it's like, oh, if you're cremated, God can't put together all the all the ashes and the resurrection, which is like people yeah. joke about that a lot. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, but I think you know we're communicating to the world. We believe that we're being temporarily planted in the ground mm-hmm. and on the day of resurrection we will rise again yeah and so yeah <sighs> yeah yeah so i mean i feel like that's really compelling but you would probably also say that this is a issue that christians can disagree about to- and yeah. argue and debate and that sort of thing yeah so we yeah. have like in theology we have the term adiaphora like indifferent mm-hmm. things things that yeah, the bible good, doesn't come down term. on and i would say I would say it's it's sort of in that category. Yeah. I think my cons- but you have some feelings. But I have so- I think the Bible. Yeah. I think depending on how we read the Bible, it should lead us. My personal opinion is yeah, that yeah. it should lead us to take burial more seriously. Um, mm. But so I don't think the Bible is indifferent on the issue. Yeah. But I also recognize it's not clear. Yeah. And there's there is no you know there's no 
clear commandment. Commandment saying yeah. do not cremate. Yeah. Um, I think my biggest concern is that the church has just totally embraced this cultural practice without much theological reflection. I see. And so that's my concern. So if someone yeah. if someone has does some serious theological reflection yeah. and says, you know what, I'm I'm comfortable still being cremated. I've engaged with the text, yeah. with the Bible. Um, I've really I've wrestled with the church tradition. Here's why I think I want to be cremated. Then you know. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm glad they've done the work to really think theologically yeah. about it. But it, it's one of those it's one of those cultural things that has just snuck into the church without very much pushback and very much reflection. Yeah, and that's that's what makes me nervous more than anything. Yeah, pushing everyone to think more deeply about burial, about death, about funerals. I think that's something that we can all agree the church should be doing. Yeah, especially reflecting theologically. Yeah, and yeah. I and I think the church like. Not all churches have this, but like a lot of churches have resources to help with costs of burial. I mean, again, it's a shame. A lot of our cemeteries are owned by the city. They're no longer owned by churches like they used to be. Mm. But, you know, back in the day, if a church owned their their graveyard, yeah, you know, people who had means could pay and people who didn't, didn't pay. And they would still be buried in the graveyard. And so it was, it was a really beautiful sort of example of um, being, what it means to be part of this body. Is yeah. You have a place even in death. Yeah, every time that I watch a BBC show with a young, cool priest <laughs> yes. in a small, quaint town by the sea, it is a little chapel surrounded by a graveyard, I always think, yes, that's what I want. Totally. Yeah, that's like my dream. What would it be like to walk past death every day as you go into the sanctuary? Yeah. Yeah, and that's another thing. I mean, it really does, it helps the the living. Like, if if the sort of the more the church can be closely associated with death and dying, yeah. it, it helps the living to remember their own deaths. And yeah. As they come to worship God, and that's yeah. a, you know that's a beautiful yeah that's a beautiful thing. Well, Court, you have survived the lightning round. Yeah, yeah, beautiful death edition. Thanks for participating. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so just a few questions before we end. Are you still good to go? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm here all day. <laughs> this is go- this could go all day. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Court and I love to hear ourselves talk. <laughs> So get ready. So, okay, so, you know, we've already talked a little bit about this, but if the responses to death that we've talked about earlier are incomplete and can maybe even be problematic at times, then what does it look like for the church to respond to death, to think about death, to contemplate death in a way that's biblically informed and theologically robust? That's a great question. And, And, I mean, this is the kind of question that we could really spend uh, yeah, totally. Like, tr- so like people things. people make careers exploring yeah. this question, right? Yeah, right. Just um, give us a few crumbs. Yeah, yeah. So, so to sort of use the language that we've already talked about of uh, denying, defying, and accepting. Yep. I think in a lot of ways, the Christian tradition, the way that Christians have historically viewed death, uh, draws from all of these in certain ways, but but differently. It, it ends okay. up being something else entirely. Yeah. So as Christians, we do we deny that death gets the final word. Right, yeah. like we d- we deny death in a sense. We're realistic about death. We don't pretend mm-hmm. like it doesn't exist. Uh, we 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 are able to look at it with open eyes because we have a savior who conquered it. Mm-hmm. Right, and so we do. We deny like death is not um, as powerful as the rest of the world thinks it is. Yeah, and it doesn't get the final word. It's not the end of our story. Right. So in a sense, yeah. we we should deny death. We did the mm-hmm. the power of death in our life. Yeah. Um, Makes me think of Paul's words, "Oh, death, where is your sting?" Yeah, yeah. where he is essentially mocking death, well, and denying so that, its power, and that leads perfectly into the defying death, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we defy it uh, again by 
by following a man who literally defeated death, by a man yeah. who died and then rose from the grave, right? And so yeah. we, we can, um, we don't have to be afraid in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, like Paul, we can mock it in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. Uh, Athanasius is a, a church father, yep. and he in his little book on the incarnation, he talks about, about this and the resurrection. He says, since the Savior's raising the body, since Jesus' body was raised, no longer is death fearsome, but all believers in Christ tread on it as nothing. Hmm. And I love that because... Tread on it. Yeah. yeah, we tread on death. So we, we defy it. We defy the power. We deny that it's the end of the story. We mm-hmm. defy its power in our lives. Um, and I, I just think that's a that's such a beautiful image. Oh, yeah. And like you said, Paul, totally. I mean, Paul, Paul mocks death, right? Where is your sting? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the sort of thing that you can say when when you know that, you know, death has been defeated. Yeah. Um, and then, again, similarly, we, we accept death, but differently, right? We know, we know, again, that death is not the end, and so we can, we can be really realistic about, I'm going to die, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. You know, and that's a, I mean, that sounds like such yeah. a simplistic sentence, but we can accept it knowing that that's not the end of our story, and... Um, that just radically sort of changes how you how you approach death. But again, all these things you sort of need to think about before you're actually on your deathbed, right? right? You need to like, train yourself and right. and grow in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Augustine is really helpful here too. In in City of God, book thirteen, I think it well doesn't matter. In, in his city, in City of God, he has this chapter on on death and whether death is good or evil. Hmm. What would you say, Brad? Whether death is good or yeah, is evil? death good or evil for for Christians? Excuse me, for Christians, is death a good or is it yeah. an evil? I think I would have to say there's a sense in which it's both. Is that is that fair? That yeah. I mean, again, I'm sort of simplifying his his statements here, but that's that's essentially where Augustine lands, where death is still a punishment for the realities of sin in this world, right? Yeah. Go back to the garden. Death sort of became a punishment for sin. Yep. Uh, and so. Even though we're saved, we still die. We still have to die. We're humans. We have bodies. We're decaying. Yep. Um, and in that sense, you know, Paul says death is the the final enemy. Yep. So death is, of course, an enemy. It's not a natural part of life. Yep. It's it's unnatural. It's yep. an intruder in in God's good creation. Yeah. That won't be here forever. So yeah. it's a temporary intruder. Totally. Uh, and so in that sense, death is death is completely evil yep. and wicked. It mm-hmm. is the complete destruction of totally. all that is good. Yeah, and it's, it's right to mourn. Yes, yeah, we should... It's right uh, to Jesus grieve. mourned. Even though Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from Lazarus from the yep. dead, he wept, yeah. right? Because death is evil. It's yeah. horrible. It's the worst possible thing. Yep. Uh, yep. And then yet, because of the saving work of Christ, mm-hmm. for Christians, death, this terrible, fearsome thing, is transformed... Uh, in, in some of the like patristics writings, they talk about death being the birth canal that leads to eternal life. Ah, yes. So it's this it's this thing that becomes um, it's inherently bad, it's inherently evil, mm-hmm. and yet God's grace and power over death is so complete and total in every way that He's able to turn this evil thing into something that leads Christians into eternal life. Yeah, totally. And so it's like, it's really, you have to hold both of those things in tension. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, as you asked the question, I was thinking about Paul's words where he talks about he doesn't know which is better for him to stay yes. for fruitful label or to depart and be with yes. Christ. Yeah. And the only way that he could do that is through death. And so there's the sense in which death is the only means in which we enter into the full presence of Jesus Christ unless he returns. Right. Yeah, and so I think as Christians, like in in the church in particular, like we need to we should be people who grieve 
far more deeply than the rest of the world mm. because we know we know that death is even worse than people realize yeah. right like it's we know yeah. that death is 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 evil and so yeah. we should grieve we should take it seriously yeah. um we should never be glib about it yeah right? i mean we should sit in that grief yeah and then what's the same what, what does paul say but don't grieve as those without hope. And mm-hmm. so it's it's both and. Like we have to have that grief. We have to take it seriously, more yeah. seriously than others. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, like we have this hope. And so it's kind of holding these two impossible ideas together. Right. And right. and pointing people towards that hope. Yeah. Without minimizing the grief. Yes. Which is extremely hard to do. Right. Yeah. Of, you know, you it and it's it requires proper timing of how to sort of when to sit in the grief and when to press into the hope. Yes. And I don't think they're always separate. Like they go hand in hand. Totally. But, yeah. I mean, you know, you're a pastor, you know, like mm. you've been in a situation where you want to say, God has a plan. It's right. okay. But it's like, and like, that is a hundred percent true. Right. It, yeah. Like it is going to be okay. Yes. But it's not right now. Yes. And so. It just seems like we need deeper understandings of joy. Yeah. And faith in the church so that there can be someone in deep grief yeah. and sorrow, they're weeping, and yet at the same time, they are experiencing a joy that yeah. doesn't put a smile on their face, but nonetheless does bring a hope. But containing that hope and experiencing that hope does not remove the sorrow yeah, totally, and the grief. Yeah. And I think we just need more images of that and and what that looks like in people's life. Yeah, and, and we just need to have the wisdom of um, being patient with people who are grieving. Totally. And not rushing yeah, them. That's helpful. Not rushing them to hope or rushing them to joy. Because that's not yeah. that's something they have to get they have to get through their grief to the joy on their own. Yeah. I mean we can we can pass them, we can guide them, we can love them. Um, but most of the times like just show up with someone who's grieving and let and yes. let them even if they're profoundly doubting God yeah. in that moment. Let them, like, I mean, the Psalms are full of people who are mad at God. Mm-hmm. So let them be mad at God for a bit, Yeah, but also be there ready to, you know, in wisdom, speak truth mm-hmm. when it's appropriate. Yeah. And I've yet to figure out how to do that. <laughs> TBD. Yeah. It's very, very, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. That's so good. Well, Court, you've, to, con- to conclude our time, we're getting to the yeah. end here. Yeah. Sadly. But, You've talked about practices, practices that the church can embody. Yeah. And I think you and I would both agree that it's not just about getting the right facts about death in our heads, that as the church, we must individually and corporately have practices that show the world that we really do have a different story when it comes to death. And not only to show the world that we have a different story, but also to be shaped mm-hmm. by these practices so that we actually do come to have a different view of and a different set of beliefs yeah. around death. We need to be formed, transformed by the Holy Spirit to, ha- to be a people to embody this new story yeah. of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So what are some practices mm. Whether these are practices that the church has been doing or the church does not do, practices that maybe you haven't fully thought through, but you're brainstorming a little bit, I mean, just, you know, have some fun. What are some practices that you think that we could embody individually and corporately as the local church to tell the world and to shape ourselves of this new story? 
That's a great question. And and like you said, you know, we can we can know the right information, but it really is our practices that shape us and reveal what we truly believe. Yeah. Right? How we live reveals that. Um so so there are a few there are a few things. I'm gonna start individually, I think, of, of what we can do individually. Yeah. In in the Christian tradition, there's this um wonderful practice of memento mori. Are you familiar with this? No, tell me. And so it's in Latin. Memento mori means remember your death. I need to work on my Latin. As, oh, I don't. I don't. I don't know any Latin except when it comes to death. Um, so memento mori, remember your death. And this is a phrase that's been really significant throughout Christian history, especially in the Middle Ages. Um, there, it's this idea of just just contemplate your death. Remember that you are going to die. And so um, if you go if you go back through again, especially in sort of like the the Middle Ages. Um, this phrase is written all over, all over things. It's it's in oh, wow. it's in catacombs. It's in it's on gravestones. It's it just pops up again and again. And so a lot of times people will will choose an item that reminds them when I look at this to remember my death again, not so that I can just sink into despair, but that so I can um, gain a new perspective, gain that heart yeah. of wisdom, and remember what Christ has done. And so, so for me, like I have, I went to the when I was in Paris last, I went to the catacombs which are mm-hmm. all under under the ground in uh-huh. paris beneath the city and it's just like a bar- it's just thousands and thousands of tombs wow. and you can it's really really neat actually um but i i got like a bookmark that has this picture of a skull from the catacomb on it and i just have it on my desk like leaning against my lamp yeah uh, so when i'm like finding myself stressed out and frustrated with the daily grind of work like it's a good reminder of like Okay, is this really that important in the grand scheme of things? Is mm-hmm. there something else I need to be focusing on? Yeah, um, you know, didn't but, didn't the early Christians actually go down into the catacombs and and worship among the dead? Don't we have yeah examples and I think, of that? I think a lot of that was to like hide from persecution. Yeah, and so that yeah, so that's like a, a really powerful image of you know hiding from death in the midst of totally. death and worship worshiping anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah, really powerful. Mm. Um, a really powerful example there, um, but but I think like there's also you mean you, on your phone like what what the your phone is the thing you look at the most not you specifically Brad but all I of feel us. called out yeah all of us like that's the thing we see the most throughout the day and so I know some people who have um, you know their phone background is like a there's like memento mori phone backgrounds so that every time they pick up their phone they're reminded ah, ah okay maybe I should put my phone down and be present with people I love right now or yeah. worship God or something so you're saying goth culture might have something to teach us yeah yeah I think there's a whole hashtag on uh, on Twitter and Instagram or whatever and I well, I forget what it is but it's like it's like Christian goth or something and you know like we laugh we laugh at some of that stuff but yeah but yeah like it's um there's a lot of meaning behind it that's really powerful. So this, this practice of memento mori, I think, is something we can do every day. Of just Even if you just start your quiet time mm-hmm. with Psalm 90, verse 12. Yeah. Teach us to number our days. You know? yeah. um, so I think that's one way. Another, another one, and again, this, is, this might seem kind of strange to people, but it's just to visit a cemetery fairly regularly. Hmm. So again, we're so, because churches no longer have graveyards for a whole host of reasons, we're, we don't see that many cemeteries they're right, kind of yeah. out they're kind of in strange parts of town like we don't pass them as much as we used to mm-hmm. um but it's a really helpful practice to just go and visit a cemetery they're usually really beautiful and peaceful right like they're nice parks right now mm-hmm. you know like one of my favorites is in memphis and it's like a gorgeous park and so i like just go and walk around um actually timothy george who was the dean of beeson he i've heard him say somewhere that whenever he has to make a really difficult decision he goes to a cemetery 
and prays wow. and contemplates. Because, because again, it's that, it's that perspective of I'm going to die one day. I'm about to make a major life decision, career job, career change, whatever. Um, you know, how, how does this factor into my whole story of my life? Wow. And that, so I, that's so much better than what I do. Every time I have to make a big decision, I think about if someone was making a documentary of my life, <laughs> how would this look? That's amazing. Yeah, not great. No, you, I like that, actually. George's is much better. Um, and, and Martin Luther, he, he, uh, he, has a sermon, he, he has a sermon on preparing to die. And he talks about this practice of go, go to a graveyard. He would say that graveyards are a perfect place to meditate on the resurrection. So you're like, Martin Luther, again, this is something that's in the Christian tradition that mm. we can draw from, these practices. And then really practically speaking, I think we can just prepare for death. Like, like, like literally like get our affairs in order. Like make mm. a will. So as soon as I had a daughter, I sort of realized I like need to make a will. Yeah. I didn't have a will before. And mm-hmm. so I you know, there's software that you can go online. It's like TurboTax but for wills. And it's really easy. Oh wow, Turbo Wills? It's I forget what it's called. Okay. But it's yes, yeah, it's, it's the same type of deal. Um and and so you can make a will and, and it makes you sort of reflect on all these questions about, you know, what matters to me the most. And yeah. Since we talked about the medical aspect of all this, mm-hmm. preparing for death by creating an advanced directive, which is which is the legal paperwork um, saying like what sort of life-saving measures you do or do not want your doctor to take. Because mm-hmm. modern medicine, I mean, modern medicine is amazing. We, can, we yeah. can keep someone alive, and by that I mean like we can keep their heart beating like indefinitely. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're really alive. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, like it's um, eventually, you know, you have to stop. Right, yeah. And so... You know how long? What sort of measures should Christians take to to keep themselves alive? And then again, that's a very personal issue right. of what am I comfortable with? What does you know? What does my family want? So it allows you to have those conversations. One thing that's really interesting: I was reading an article where Christians were more, or people of faith. I think it was just people of faith in general, okay. but also Christians um, are more likely to request like intense. Life save life saving measures on their deathbed. Interesting, uh, like the kind that like lead to that are violent. I mean, like you know, mm. breaking ribs to help someone breathe or what? Like just sort of these things that no one wants to go through. Yeah, but it should be the other way around. We should be the ones that we should be able to recognize death has come, and I, you know, my life is no longer going to be what I thought it was, even mm. if they can technically keep me alive. I might, you know. Yeah. And so I'm just going to trust my fate to God to some degree. Yeah. Now, uh, to be clear, I'm not saying all life-saving measures are bad. Right, right, Like, right. obviously. But, you know, there's a certain point at which, at what point do you say, Yeah. okay, yeah, my life's over. And that's, well, o- that's okay. Totally. And I think what gets hard is that question becomes more complicated the younger you get. Oh, yeah. And so I think, you know, someone who's yes. 99 years old is a very different scenario from someone who's 16 totally and yeah. so thinking through those two situations you yeah know, the 16 year old definitely presents some some complications but nonetheless it's still something that's worth thinking through and reflecting on totally and in the same way like preparing for death by planning your funeral that's just a good exercise of like meeting with your pastor talk and again i'm talking about when you're younger like not when you're not when after you've received your diagnosis yeah before the crisis comes 
yeah. plan this stuff because you're thinking more clearly. Yeah. And it's able to become a spiritual exercise of what do I actually believe? What does the Bible say about some of this? Right. It, invites, it gives you time to invite your pastor or spiritual mentor to participate in that process. It gives you time to invite your family to participate in that process, to yeah. have these honest, difficult conversations. Because yeah. what I see so often is people don't set up advanced directives. Mm-hmm. And then so they there's some sort of medical event crisis. Yeah. And their spouse has no idea what their wishes are because they've mm-hmm. never taken the time to do it because they sure, think I'll yeah. have I'll have time eventually. Right. Yeah. We don't have time eventually. We don't. We don't mm-hmm. know. We just yeah, don't know. Don't know. Uh, and it's the same way with planning your funeral. I mean, you know, if there's a sense in which once you die, do you want your spouse or your family or your loved ones to have to yeah. spend that week? looking through which casket to buy. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's a huge decision. And there's so much going on in that period. Exactly. So many arrangements, so much happening, not to mention just the immense grief that the family member is feeling. And that, I mean, I I don't, I don't think poorly of like funeral directors in general, Sure, yeah. but if they're, you know, that you're easily to get taken advantage of in that moment when you're just sort of grieving and in crisis and you're saying, what, whatever, just make it happen. You don't want to, you don't want to be thinking about logistics while you're trying to grieve the death of a loved one. And you don't want your loved ones to be thinking about logistics. And so I think that's a really helpful way. It's just practically preparing for the fact that you will die. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we've talked about that I thought was really interesting is you were even talking about the laws that are on the books and how, when you go to the funeral home or you speak to a funeral director and they ask, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Most people don't know, do I have options yeah, legally? Totally. Do I need to do something? Right. Do I have to have them embalmed? Like, there are all these questions that I think people, by and large, and I would include myself in this, would just kind of default yeah. to the funeral director yep. to some degree to say, like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Is that what normally happens? Yeah, and the laws, like, they vary from state to state, and so it is confusing. Like, it requires a little bit of prep on the front hand. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, embalming, which is, you know, the, the liquid that, that – um, prevents your body from decaying. Mm-hmm. That's not legally required in any state, unless you want to. Unless you want a, a body to cross state lines, like if you want to be buried in a different. Like if I were to die, I'd love to be buried in, in Memphis. So okay. if I were to die Noted. here, yeah, I've told Abby this, but yeah, I would have to be embalmed to like have my body legally cross state lines. Mm. But you know, if I wanted to be buried here, it there's no requirement, but people just do it because it's what you're. It's just sort of again, we don't really think theologically about these things of. Mm-hmm. What do I actually want to happen? Interesting. Um, and then different cemeteries have different rules, and yeah. you, you have to buy a concrete vault. You're right. But a, yeah. A lot of times those aren't required; they're just standard. Okay. But there's there's no point to them. They just they make it easier to maintain the lawn. But like that's all they do. So like, it's not for if someone was trying to steal it or something. No, I mean maybe 200 years ago. <laughs> I mean I don't. But no, like most of the times, like it's to help with. Because like if there was if that wasn't there, some of the ground would probably like cave in instead of just like replacing the earth. Uh, I, see, I mean, I it largely just helps with landscaping. Yeah, um, which isn't a bad thing, but right. again, that's more money, so that makes it more expensive, which makes you less likely to bury. Which uh-huh. you know, so you really do need to think about these things well beforehand. Yeah. Um, so I think those are some individual practices. Yeah. That, can, that can be really really helpful. Yeah, totally. So um, what about what about corporate? Yeah. What so about like some corporate within practices? the church. Yeah, corporate practices within the church. I think first and foremost, we just need to normalize talking about it so mm. that we stop making jokes. Oh, it's morbid or whatever. Yeah. And I think that comes... Which I do. Right. Well, yeah, me too. <laughs> but I, you know, I think that that comes from talking about it, teaching about it, and preaching about it from the pulpit mm. regularly. And that's not to say, okay, today's sermon is on death. But yeah. you know, death is just part of our story. It's part of the gospel story. 
depending on your church tradition, perhaps every week there's, uh, you know, sort of metaphorically speaking, a body on the table in the middle of the sanctuary with yeah. the, the, the body and blood of Christ, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like we're sort of a morbid people to begin with. Like Christianity is yeah. very strange. Yeah, very I, I always think if someone walked in on a Good Friday service, yeah. they would be like, what the heck is happening right yes. now? Yes, yeah. Very cultish. Yeah. yeah. So rather than sort of just like save sermons on death or sort of like conversations and teachings about death for when there's a big death in the congregation or something. Uh, just make it a regular part of life at the mm. church. I think yeah. that, I think that's one, that's one really important way. And this goes beyond just the pulpit, but you can, you know, churches, I'd love to see churches hosting workshops on preparing for death. So hmm. walking through, okay, here's our tradition, standard funeral format. Yeah. What hymns do you want? What scripture do you want? Then that, that gives pastors the ability to, to do some theological teaching on on death, yeah, while also helping parishioners or members of the congregation to prepare for their own death, yeah, and yeah, you could even bring in a lawyer, a doctor to explain medical directives, to explain how wow, to make that'd a be will. Really interesting, yeah. Every, I mean, every congregation has a lawyer. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, we we have plenty at our church, and they could come in and maybe maybe even like offer discounted services to help people make wills if mm. that's part of their job, or yeah. you know, you have a medical doc- doctor explain here's what's going to happen yeah here are if, the options if you don't sort of make a plan here yep. you know and here are the different options and here's what we believe is yeah. dignifying to the body interesting so there's just i mean there's it, i think what i what i'm trying to communicate to pastors that i talk to is that it involves all sorts of creativity and courage just to mm. do it just to enter into the conversation yeah, totally. and it's something I mean, there there's so many like neat cool ways you can bring that to your congregation right yeah um no that's so great talking about the funeral tradition i think is interesting because I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. It seems like there's been a shift where traditionally in the church, there was some sort of format for a funeral and what would be a part of the funeral and what would be prayed in the funeral, what would be sung. And currently it seems like when it comes to funerals, it's much less, I guess it depends on what denomination you're in, what tradition you're in. But in the free church world, funerals have become more of a, kind of individual piece together what you want. Take, you know, you can take from different traditions, you can take uh, different songs, whether that be a Christian song, whether that be a secular song. And I'm not saying that that is necessarily inherently bad, but I, I do think it would be good for all of us to think very deeply about what do we want to be communicated at my funeral. Yeah. And each component of the service will communicate something and i i think it'd be good to ask in what ways has the kind of modern world modern understanding of death and even maybe a modern understanding of funerals shaped how the church does funerals today so for instance i've i hear a lot of people in the church say i don't want this to be a funeral i just want it to be a celebration of life and i think there's a sense in which in a Christian funeral, you do remember the life and you remember the grace that God showed through this individual and his work and how he used them to bring joy and to bear witness to him and to build up the community. And so there really is a sense in celebrating that and remembering that, but that's not where it ends. Yeah. So I'm curious if you had any thoughts on that. Well, man... That's a whole other podcast, honestly. 
Yeah. All I mean, right. all day. We weren't lying. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Well, funerals are another one of those areas where the church has sort of just accepted a lot of cultural norms without a whole lot of theological critical reflection. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you're saying, and again, this is a little different in my tradition in the Presbyterian world. We have like a standard funeral ord- order of worship. And again, there's there's wiggle room for different songs and right, everything. Yeah. So when I'm saying that people should prepare their funerals beforehand, I'm not saying they should do that by themselves because I don't it because a funeral is not about the dead person. Interesting. Which is which is I think a massive um, misunderstanding. It's I think not, a lot of people would say that yes. that's what it's about. Most people, when they're planning their funerals nowadays, view it as their final chance to sort of exert their identity and autonomy of like, oh, this song, yeah, or whatever. But a funeral is not about the person. Kind it, of like how this person was unique. Yes. What stands out about them? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so they want you know, uh, they want a, no offense to Brad, but they want a big Auburn logo. Up front next to their casket well, or something. That's going to happen. So. I'm sure. Well, not if I have anything to say about it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's sort of like this is the person's final chance of self-expression. Okay. And so they want to, they want to, and so, I mean, it, especially outside of the church, it gets increasingly insane what people are doing for funerals. Um, Give me an example. I mean, I just like does any, keep. Does anything come to mind? I'm not, nothing specific. I, I, I keep reading. I just read about like, um. Like this guy, I read about this guy who like loved his car. Like uh-huh. he had an old school, like old Ford something, like a classic car. Yeah. Which is like great, you know? Great. I'm glad you sure. loved your car. Yeah, totally. And then at, at his funeral, they like, found a way to like park it up front inside the building next to his casket. And wow. so it's like, well, that, you know. But again, outside of the church, why not? You know? Who yeah. Care? Who cares what you do at your funeral if none of this really matters ultimately. Right. But within the church, I think we need to be much more careful because it's a worship service. Yeah. So in the Presbyterian tradition, we call it, we don't call it a funeral. Oh, well, we call it a funeral, but like sort of the formal name is the wit- a witness to the resurrection, which mm-hmm. I love because Interesting. the person's death is sort of a catalyst for the congregation to come together. And there's this wonderful book called Accompany Them With Singing. Okay. And it's about Christian funerals. I forget who wrote it. But he talks about how the congregation comes together. They've journeyed with this baptized believer throughout all of his or her life, and now they're they're accompanying this person to the edge of eternity, which I think mm. is just a beautiful yeah, image it's beautiful. of what. And it's 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 handing them back to God. Wow! Right, and so it's in that sense the funeral doesn't stop at the service. The whole congregation should go and accompany to the burial or to mm. you know whatever they're going to do. The final resting place. Interesting is, and maybe not the whole congregation, but you know people should go. Christians, part of that body, should go with that body. Mm-hmm. With Part of that body of believers should go with the deceased body. I see. To their final resting place, right? You're accompanying them to the very end, which yeah. is, a, again, a beautiful yeah, yeah. just sort of image yeah. of, of what the Christian life is and how totally. we bear one another's burdens. Yeah. But all that to say, yeah, I think funerals that are sort of tailored to just reflect the person miss the point. Yeah. Um, and so I do think uh, what I want is for these conversations to take that take place in funeral homes and sort of in people's personal lives to come back into the church under the guidance of a pastor who sort of has an idea of what a funeral is supposed to be about, hmm. which is interesting, which is the resurrection of Christ. Yeah. We're mourning, we're grieving, we're celebrating, we're giving thanks for their life, mm-hmm. uh, and we're proclaiming that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. Yeah. And that's our ultimate hope. And so again, like, so yeah. What was the original question? 
Interesting. We we're just talking about funerals in general. Yeah, funerals yeah. in general, okay. and just want to make sure modern funerals, you. and yeah. as Christians thinking through our own funeral, and one, yes. one way that an inv- individual might do that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's very helpful. And, and I will say, like, I don't think all sort of like personal tailoring is bad. Like, I have hymns right, that I would totally. love to have sung, but they're yeah, hymns, one hundred percent. You know that that would lead the congregation to worship God more, and they've yeah. just been particularly important to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, totally. So it's not saying there can't be a personal element. It's not saying yes. we shouldn't reflect on the individual or yes. talk about anything that's unique to them. Rather, it's saying like maybe we should look to how the church has done funerals and what's distinct yeah. in a Christian funeral from yeah. a modern funeral. Yeah. And even for myself as a pastor, I don't want to just come up with something. Right. I want to be looking to the scriptures. I want to be looking to the tradition before me yeah. to see, okay, what it, what are we doing here? What yeah. are we communicating? And so I think that's extremely helpful for everybody. Totally. One thing I appreciate about, again, in my context in the Presbyterian world, we have like an order of worship basically. But it also it notes that, you know, if they were a member of like a club, like a social club or like... Um, you know, Rotary Club or whatever. A lot of times, these institutions will have like, like a a shawl that you're supposed to put over a deceased member's casket or whatever, or like mm-hmm. some sort of ritual that go that occurs when a member of this club dies. Yeah. And you know, our tradition and I think Christian tradition in general should mm-hmm. say no. That has no part in the formal worship service. You can do that separate of like to honor them within mm-hmm. that community, uh-huh. but in the church, in the in among the body of believers. This is all about Christ uh, and, um, and the fact that this person is baptized mm. and they've now completed their baptism, basically. Mm. Like they've, they've, they've journeyed yeah. the whole Christian life, and now they've returned to God. Yeah. And yeah. so there's no sort of distraction from that with, you know, oh, they were also a member of this club. Let's put this up next to their cas- casket or whatever. Uh, I see. I um, see. Which yeah. I, I appreciate. Just keeping the focus on Christ. Yeah, yeah, Totally. Well, I know there's a lot more practices that we could talk about. Yeah. I don't want to cut you off. No. There is one practice that you've talked to me about that involves a little bit of woodworking that I thought oh, yeah. is really interesting. <laughs> Would you like to talk about that? Yeah. So I'm not a woodworker. I've actually never done this practice, but I've shared this dream with Brad. And yes. maybe I'll recruit Brad to do it with me. Maybe maybe this is our future. Well, and this yeah, it could be. And this this is um this is another way to cut down on the cost of Funerals and burials, like because mm. caskets are just insanely expensive. Really? I mean, they're thousands and thousands of yeah. dollars. I mean, they can span from like two thousand to thirty thousand. I mean, they're crazy. Wow. For what? For your body to decay in, right? Mm. And there's no there's no law that you have to use these sort of formal caskets. So you can you can provide your own casket. And mm-hmm. so I've 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 told Brad on several occasions that it's sort of a dream of mine to uh, build my own casket. Like just order some pine wood, and there there are plans online. And build my own, and then just kind of carry it with me wherever, whenever we move. Keep it in the attic, and uh, but I think that would be a, a really neat spiritual discipline as well to, you know, get a group from church together, order the wood, and like reflect on death, read scripture about death, while also yeah. making caskets. <laughs> okay, even even I'll say this is bordering a line, bordering into the morbid. <laughs> yeah, well, <you laughs> but know. it's a really. I mean, I think it's Eugene Peterson. That's what he he built his own. I thought it was his son. Oh, his son. That's right. That's right. His son built his it. His son built it. Yeah. yeah. Which is, again, I mean, that's a that's Joseph of Arimathea. Just yeah, a beautiful totally. example of his son showed his love and devotion and respect for his father by caring for his body mm. in a very tangible way. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, you you talked to me about the women at the tomb 
going to take care of Jesus' yes. body. Yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. say a little bit about that? This just came to mind. I thought this was absolutely beautiful. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with Joseph of Arimathea, yep. where you know the way that these women, like they didn't know Jesus was going to rise from the dead. I mean, he told right. them, but they they didn't believe yeah. it or know it at the time. Yeah. And so you know, in their mind, Jesus is dead. He's not coming back. This is the end of the story. And yet they continue to care for him and to love him and to show their devotion by. Um, you know, anointing his body with oils and, or, you know, they went to, and then he wasn't there, but they were attempting to go and, um, you know, follow the local tradition of putting spices on a body. They were caring for the body. And yeah. what, what a beautiful, what a beautiful image and something that I think churches should really consider. I mean, um, I think there's, you know, if there's a group of men or women who want to just say, when someone in our congregation dies, we're not just going to hand their body over to a stranger. Uh, we we might do that, but we're also going to be there. We're going to make sure. Mm-hmm. And this is what the, the this is big in the Jewish tradition is okay. they don't the a body is never left alone. There's mm-hmm. always like a, a another Jewish person who's there who's watching over it, who's caretaking yeah. the body. And you know I think there's room in our in our Christian culture in America to recover some of that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what does that communicate to the world? It, it communicates that we have a high view of the body, that we believe humans have dignity, mm-hmm. that um, it, it, it that that we love someone by caring for them, and that this mm-hmm. is not the end of their story, yeah. and we're just accompanying them to eternity. Yeah. And so, really, I mean, it's it's a it's a form of I don't want to say evangelism, but it's like yeah. the, the outside world will see that and say that is so weird. Why do they do that? And then you have you know. Yeah. You have the chance to give an answer. Why do we care about people's bodies so much? Yeah. Why are we making such a big deal about this? Mm. Because even in death, Christians are not alone. Yeah. And that's totally that's countercultural. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Just as the women went to care for Jesus' body yes. and encountered the resurrected Christ. Oh, yes. The church and caring yes. for the bodies of the dead uh, bear witness. That's and right. And experience Jesus yes. alive. Totally. And reigning in the world sees, even though uh, the testimony sounds foolish, it's nonetheless our reality. Yeah, yeah, man, that's amazing. Okay, so we've we've gone super long, and I'm so glad that we have. Yeah, me too. Because it's so good, and so many things we've yet to even touch. I know or get into. But just in closing, if you're going to recommend some resources for people to read or mm-hmm. listen to, does anything come to mind? Yeah. So uh, Todd Billings. Yeah. Brad and I have talked about Todd yeah, Billings theological a theological hero. I've, I've, I say it all the time. Yeah, I would say he's a theological hero of mine as well. Oh, sort okay. of, sort of one. I'd say in terms of living theologians, he's one that I'll just read whatever he writes. Yeah, for sure. And I haven't read everything he's written, but I'm working on it. Um, but he he has cancer. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, he has, he has an incurable form. Yeah, of cancer. incurable form of cancer, uh, and he's become very productive during his sort of last years. It's crazy. Um, and he wrote a book called the end of the Christian life. Yeah. And that's a really, he's not, he's not particularly saying anything new mm-hmm. necessarily, but he's really synth- synthesizing some of these ideas in a really helpful way. Yeah. And it's very, um, it's theologically rich yet, yeah. yet accessible, accessible to someone who doesn't have seminary training. Necessarily. Oh, that's great. So the end of the Christian life by Todd Billings. I mean, if you really want to wade in some deeper sort of more philosophical waters, Ernest Becker's the denial of death is, okay. is fascinating. Yeah. And thinking about how our culture approaches death. Yeah. 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 And then more recently there, like these, there's been a few books that have come out that have engaged with a lot of these ideas. Uh, when breath becomes air. Okay. Are you familiar with this book? No, it was written by a, I think it was a neurosurgeon named Paul Kalanithi, 
Okay. And uh, he was he was sort of this young, promising, incredible doctor. Interesting. And then he got he got an incurable disease and like died within a year. And then that last year he wrote a book called oh, when, wow. when Breath Becomes Air. And it's it's just heart. It's just sort of his journey. Interesting. Um, his his wife writes the last chapter. It's heartbreaking, but it's Ooh. a beautiful, beautiful book. Okay. Uh, and again, not particularly like from a Christian perspective, but really just engages with these ideas well. Mm-hmm. And then an extremely popular book called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. Okay, yes. Uh, who's also, he's a doctor. And this this book, is, again, was like New York Times bestseller forever. Okay. And it engages with the um, the medical issues of death, of, okay. of the modern way of dying and how it's probably not the most helpful way all the time. Uh, yeah. So he's, he's a doctor engaging with the medical side of death, but it's very accessible, Okay. super readable. Um, and then, you know, I know people like to watch Netflix, so you you know the show Black Mirror? Yes, I do. There are two episodes that really have interesting sort of um, themes related to death. There's okay. an episode of Black Mirror called Be Right Back, mm-hmm. where a, a guy, uh, he like leave, he drives in the car and dies, and his wife is sort of left alone, or his girlfriend, I'm not sure, and she orders like a, like a robot version of him, and like... It, it just sort of it, it's I just <laughs> described that so weirdly, but it engages with this I'm idea interested. of what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to die? Yeah. Can we just sort of be replaced by a computer, even if the computer looks and talks and acts just like us? Wow! Yeah. So it's really haunting, really beautiful, really powerful look at grief. Okay. And then there's another episode called San Junipero, uh-huh. um, which I don't want to give anything away, but it's okay. again, it's sort of this idea of can our consciousness just sort of be uploaded to a computer yeah. when we die? And yeah. what it, so it's all, it's engaging with all these questions about what it means to be human, what it means to die, and then there's a Netflix documentary called Extremis, um, which is about end of life care in hospitals, and it's a short okay. documentary. I think it won an Oscar for best short documentary. Oh wow! And it's just again, it's sort of a really heavy but powerful look at um, people's last days of life in a hospital and yeah. having to make some of these hard medical decisions. Mm. So, but it's it's really really well done. Hmm. Yes, mm. and. Just to plug one more, Todd Billings has a podcast. Really? And if you're not going to pick up his book, yeah, called, I think, The End of the Christian oh, Life. I didn't know that. Or something similar to that. Uh, I can't find it. I should have. Pre- yeah, The End of the Christian Life podcast with Todd Billings. And he interviews pastors and other writers, and they talk about various themes surrounding death and Christianity theology. So check that out as well. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Well, Cord, um, I'm so sad that our time has come to an end. Me too. But it has. But I do want to thank you so much for coming to Four Stream Studio, coming yes. on the podcast. It's been great to sit and to contemplate death with you. I hope people will see just through this exercise how contemplating our mortality is not just morbid, but rather an exercise in seeing the beauty and the depth of Christian theology and truth and and biblical truth and and the hope that we have because we worship a savior who was crucified, but also rose from the dead uh, reigns at the right hand of God. Yeah. And that one day we will rise with him. Yeah. If I like, if I could sort of summarize my whole project in a sentence, it's that contemplating death, preparing for death is a, irreplaceable part of Christian discipleship, mm. but it's often the most neglected. And so we, we need to use creativity and courage and, um, you know, all sorts of the, the tools that we have at our disposal to explore what that looks like in our individual context. Lovely. There, there you go. There you have it. <laughs> and that's where we're going to end today. 
This has been another episode of Shades Midweek Death Edition. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have 